Our scripture lesson today comes from Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 25. But first, let us pray. Holy God, you created all people from the dust of the earth, but breathe new life into us today. Remove all that hinders community among your people and draw us together into one. Amen. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but serve each other through love. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit. I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit, and what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For those who are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you want, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dimensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do not do such things will not, or those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. No one ever wants to read this text, so I'm grateful to Jim. Paul's letter to the Galatians, to the church in Galatia, is a theological powerhouse. It's considered the fountainhead for Christian reflection on justification by faith, the salvation found within the cross, and the meaning of Christian freedom. It might make your head swim, but it will make your spirit soar. Paul's letter to the Galatians speaks of radical grace. But it is a letter, and it's always good to remember that when we read this text, we are reading someone else's mail, a letter from a real person written to real people who are dealing with real things. It's a letter that comes into existence because of a real relationship. It's not a cold call or junk mail. It's not some part of an ancient scheme about contacting someone about the extended warranty on their chariot. It's a letter. And it's written by someone who cares deeply, written to the people he cares deeply about. 
And it's written because Paul was very anxious for the church in Galatia that he helped found. Because after he left town to go found other churches and spread the good news of Jesus Christ in other places, some other apostles and teachers came to town. And those other apostles, they taught that the gospel Paul preached was incomplete and woefully inadequate. They claimed that in order to be saved, in order to really be part of God's people, well, you really do need to follow strict dietary laws. And if there were men, they really did have to be circumcised. In other words, they were saying this whole idea of grace that Paul talks about, it sounds really good, but that's not how it works. You need to earn your salvation. Paul heard about everything these apostles were teaching and fires off a letter of clarification, a rebuttal of sorts. It's a strongly worded letter telling the Galatians to refuse this teaching. My friend Jessica Tate, who was with us this summer as part of our intergenerational vacation Bible school, she says if all caps had been a thing back then, Paul would have written in all caps. Because what the Galatians are hearing, Paul says, is a false gospel. It is an all caps false gospel. The true gospel, Paul says, is so much more. The true gospel assures us that we are saved through Christ alone. The true gospel sets us free because it's not about any action we do or do not take. It's not about anything we do or do not earn. It's a gift. It is pure gift. It is a gift that has the ability to radically reorient our lives. A friend of mine asked over dinner one night, why do you go to church? And why are you a Christian? And why do you trust some giant story that for the entirety of your life you will never know if you were right or wrong? His questions were genuine. He was trying to sort out a lot of things about who God is and what the purpose of the church is and if God and people could really be considered trustworthy. I wonder, how would you answer his questions? My friend said that he'd asked a lot of people these things, and the two most common answers he heard, he said, were community and to do good work in the world. And those are good answers. They're beautiful in their own right, and I hope that as part of your faith, you find community. And I hope that as part of your faith, you do good work in the world. But you can find that and do that a lot of places. There are at least five or six different rotary clubs around the city, and more organizations are begging for volunteers than any of us could count. 
And I'm pretty sure that if Paul heard us express our reason for being Christian, our reason for committing ourselves to the church was only about community and doing good work, well, I imagine we would get a letter written in all caps. But I also suspect that every single one of us is here today, whether we would put these words to it or not, because of a saving grace. Hang on to that in the back of your mind for a moment. Because right now, I do want to talk about those two lists that Paul rattles off. One is a list of what he calls the works of the flesh. One theologian has summarized this list by calling them the terribles. The other list Paul calls the fruits of the spirit. And if you read through this passage too quickly, and you don't read what comes before it or after it, it might be easy to come to, the come to the conclusion that Paul believes in a clear duality between flesh, which is bad, and the spirit, which is good. Now that has resulted in all manner of unfortunate interpretation throughout the history of the church. And it is unfortunate because that simplistic contrast could not be further from the truth. Flesh is not bad. Jesus came to us in the flesh. He was and is the word made flesh. God's love was shown to us most clearly through a body. For that reason alone, flesh is not and never could be bad. And Paul knows that. You see, Paul is talking about the desires of the flesh, and if I understand his letter, that phrase is shorthand for the world defined by human abilities and resources and values, as opposed to the fruits of the Spirit, which is shorthand for the world defined by God's abilities and resources and values. Now it is our default position to look at the world through what Paul might call a fleshy lens. It's in the air we breathe. We understand ourselves and our worth and our purpose in terms of what we can do and accomplish or sometimes in terms of our mistakes and shortcomings. But that is the false gospel, Paul would say. And getting undone by all of that in either direction is not the way to experience the kingdom of God. The real gospel, Paul might say, the salvation of the gospel sets us free from all of that. If we let ourselves fully embrace who we are in Christ, well, all of that other falls away. And when those other things fall away, all of a sudden, it's actually possible to genuinely love one another. Paul tells us the gospel means we do not live to indulge or satisfy or justify ourselves. We live to love one another. 
and serve one another and be bound to one another because God has chosen to be bound to us. I believe that is something of what saving grace looks like. And that is at least part of the reason why I am a Christian. Because as good as this life can be, and it can be good, my life is about so much more than just my life. And your life is about so much more than just your life. Our lives together are about so much more. I believe that at the core of my being, even on days when if I am being honest, I would really rather not. But if it is to mean anything real, it has to be rooted in something bigger than just my belief that it is so. It has to be rooted in something outside of me. And so I trust that the true purpose of our lives is rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. I trust that it is rooted in God's steadfast love that endures forever. I trust that the true purpose of our lives is rooted in the movement from fear and death to hope and new life. Which is another way of saying, I trust that the true purpose of our lives is rooted in a cross and a grave and an empty tomb. I trust that the true purpose of our lives is rooted in resurrection because I just don't think we could actually love one another otherwise. Now I am not Now, I am a Christian not because I'm convinced this is the only way to make sense of all this. I'm a Christian because it's the way it makes sense to me. And that's also why I go to church, why I come to church. And it has nothing to do with a paycheck. Because just like the Galatians knew all too well, there are days when belief is easy And there are days when belief is hard. But what I have found over time is that when my faith is wavering, you hold it for me. And when your faith is wavering, I can hold it for you. Because that too is what it means to be bound together. Paul knew this was the case, and he knew it would always be the case. Our need for one another is a theme that runs throughout all of his letters. New Testament scholar Frances Taylor Ginch, she puts it this way. She says, a Christian existence is, in the most essential ways, corporate in character. To Paul's way of thinking, there is no such thing as a freelance Christian. To be a Christian is to be incorporated into a community of faith. Or in other words, it's impossible to be Christian by yourself. You can love God by yourself. You can be a good person by yourself. You can do good work by yourself. You can pray by yourself. But I just don't believe you can fully be a Christian by yourself. For you were called to freedom 
Paul writes, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity in self-indulgence, rather serve each other in love. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You can't do that by yourself. But from that love, joy, and peace, and patience, kindness, and generosity, and faithfulness, self-control, and all the rest, everything else that is good and of God, that is when it flows forth. We are set free from ourselves so that we can belong to one another. Because building a life, a life of faith, a life with meaning, a life with purpose, a life with the wildest form of beauty and the deepest type of love, building a life like that, it really is a group project. That is why I am a Christian, and that is why I come to church. But I'm still curious, if my friend were to ask you, what would you say? Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.